Okay. So, I've I've got to get something off my chest. It's uh it's a little it's a little bit embarrassing, uh, but you know I was born in 1984. I was born in Saint Petersburg, Russia, and uh, I have never listened to Kino before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have now, right? I have now, absolutely. How would you explain Kino to somebody who, who's like me? You know. Ten years ago in uh, Kazakhstan, I was hanging out with a cousin of a cousin of a friend. We were just chatting about what kind of music we liked, and they started telling me about Viktor Tsoi, this this legendary frontman for for Kino, and telling me about the band. And they were very very sad that I didn't know <laughs> all about the band. I'm sure they'd be astonished and disappointed that you hadn't been listening to them up until now. My name is Winston Featherly Bean. Um, I. I'm from Alaska uh, originally, and I uh, drifted into Georgia when I was around 20, tried to find some excuses to stick around. That turned into uh, a job working at a local newspaper up until the war. The war, that's Vaina in Russian. That's also the name of the song we're playing now. So this story isn't actually about Kino or even Winston, although he is around for the whole thing. It's just that when he told me about finding these records, it jumped out to me as some kind of symbol of, of, of all things calm before the storm. There's songs and stories about war, and then there's the real thing. You know, I had no responsibilities in the world. I just thought, you know, I was living the coolest, the coolest life. I had these vinyl records I'd listened to in this apartment that is, to this day, the nicest apartment I've ever been able to afford. And it was around this time that um, I met Tamo, May or June 2008, some summer weekend that uh, both Tamo and I had off from from the newspaper. We went down to the Dry Bridge Market, loaded up my arms with the records, and took them home. You know, it's it's real life, so there's no there's no foreshadowing. You know, Vina was a was a lovely, powerful song, and and you know, I, I I just knew he was shouting about war. I think I think at the time, June two thousand eight, there was tensions in South Ossetia, but it had been like that every summer. Uh, you know, I didn't 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 read too much into it. Those are some astonishingly good albums. Um, but you know what? I I don't speak Russian, and so I don't think I can get away with calling myself a devoted fan of of a band when I Google translating their lyrics. Temo does speak Russian. And when the two of them got captured in the Vaina between Georgia and Russia, it probably saved their lives. Or maybe Winston being American did. It's hard to tell. In any case, that war was the last war that Winston wrote about. But for Temo, it was the start of a career as a war journalist. I'm Vladik Ravich, and this is Taxi Taxi, the podcast that drives too fast. Today, we're taking you uphill and back in time. It's August 2008, and four journalists are driving in a beat-up Opel Cadet sedan. They're going north toward a town slung between some hills just before the Caucasus Mountains. It's the first day of a war. This is Temo's story. Uh, my name is Timur Kiguradze. 
I'm a war journalist. I've been to six, I think six wars, and a couple of revolutions, uh, in terms of protest rallies and stuff. On August 7th, so the day before the war started, like actually we were expecting the war. It was obvious that like, something shitty is going to happen. Eight morning, somewhere we've heard the news that actually Georgian troops have taken uh, the, the rebel capital of Skin Valley. So we decided that we need to go there because we will miss the like everything, right? We just got in a car and we just took off from Tbilisi and just went straight to Skin Valley. That was a very strange incident, but it was near the place where they had this Skin Valley sign. The town is starting there. And we stopped there because we saw a Georgian tank. The tank was coming out of Skin Valley. We stopped them trying to ask the soldiers, what's going on guys, what's the situation there? They just answered nothing, they, he just waved the hand. Just later I understood that he waved the hand in the direction opposite to going to Skin Valley. He was saying like, get the fuck out of there. He had no time to speak to us and like, let's go forward. And so we did. I was basically a kid then, I was like 20 or 21, and it was actually my first official job as a journalist. I think I was on this job for like three months, and then the war started, and, and of course like I decided hey, I need to go there, man, yeah, yeah, I need to go there, big mistake. Tsing Valley is the main town in South Ossetia. It's been a battlefield before, during Georgia's kaleidoscope of civil wars in the 1990s. South Ossetia, along with Abkhazia, succeeded in breaking away during the chaos that followed the end of the Soviet Union. Thousands were killed and hundreds of thousands were displaced, and all of the sides have been deadlocked over the land ever since. Nobody actually thought that it, was a, it would be a full-scale war involving like everything we have and we should have realized it. Yeah. Do you re do were you guys listening to music when you were driving up? Yes, we did. What were you listening to? Uh, we're listening to the radio actually to hear some news and I saw some shitty oh, some shitty Russian songs actually. Yeah, something like Viagra or another band like Pretty Girl from from uh, from Ukraine. Something like this. Yeah, and that's the thing actually. People were really listening to the music, and there were movies on TV. And it was a feeling, yeah, that something heavy is about to happen, but like, nobody really cared about it. Nobody took seriously what's going on there. Uh, it was a big mistake that we, we were like, having fun, we were speaking about, like, we were joking about something, oh, like, did you eat? You should not have eaten, because if a bullet hits you in the stomach, it will be a, a real, real problem for the doctors. I'm like, haha, very funny, man. It was exciting something real like I was so bored because like before this I had to go like to parliament listen to like very boring these MPs talking shit about like like things and like oh my god a real story I should do this 
she did. That's why I, that's why I went to journalism. Uh, there, there were like Russian so-called peacekeepers there, and we were around their positions, and we saw that there was some fight there, uh, some tank tracks. Obviously, something not really good happened there because there were some uh, bulletproof vests just on the ground, helmets, and like ammunition, like not used ammunition. Like somebody just threw packs of ammunition was just on the road. Yeah, of course, we didn't take it because like we should not. But, the guys who were more experienced, they say, like, yeah, we should not take it. <laughs> you trying to take some souvenirs? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, I, I, can, I can say it. I know it's stupid now. But like, yeah, for like, for 20-year-old kids, was like, oh, my God, there is a helmet. And like, wow, can we take it? Can we take it, Dad? No, no, you cannot. And we did not, and we just continued our road, like, to the center of the town. We saw like some RPG rounds, so on the car is a perfect target for RPG, there is no chance surviving it, and that's what we're thinking about. We were no longer listening to the, any kind of music, of course. And yeah, we became really scared, really adrenalized. And then we stopped the car and we just went out of the car and we just proceeded to the, to the city, uh, to the town. We just walked some streets and like, that was abandoned, man. We heard some explosion sounds, but it was like quite far away from the from the point where we were. And we were just taking pictures, like shooting some video, and just proceeding like four of us. And one of a sudden, from one of the streets, we saw like several men in military uniforms, and they hold they have weapon. And one of our crew members, uh, Sashka Klimchuk, he said. Oh, he's holding an M4 rifle. That's an American rifle used by Georgian army. So he's using American rifles, so it's Georgians, right? And he said hello to them. He said, in Georgian. And in answer, uh, there was shooting. That was, that was maybe the scariest uh, scariest moment of my life when they started to shoot and they started to swear in Russian and then we decided we, we didn't really decide we just tried to get to our car as soon as possible try to run away because our car was like a few blocks away from this place and there was like a theoretical chance that we could get to the car but we did not because uh, two of two of my friends were killed on, the, on this on the street, uh, I was shot in the elbow, and my f the fourth friend he was shot in the leg, and then we just lied to the ground, and then the the rebels came. was a very stupid thought in my head that uh, they're pretending to be dead just to to fool uh, Ossetians. I, I didn't know that they were dead at the time. I saw that they were checking the pulse on the neck and like they just waved their head like saying no. I I didn't understand what does it mean like I know that I should but like I did not. Then they took me and they took my friend he couldn't walk but they like carried him 
And I remember a, a small boy, like 14 or 15, who was carrying the AK. He just like ran towards me and he just started hitting me in the face with the, with his gun. And like, I was taking the hits and I, I just, I didn't feel the pain. I just couldn't understand what the, what the fuck is going on, why, uh, why they're hitting me. It was just a thought in my head. Like, oh, fuck, I'm only 20 years old. That's how I'm going to die? Well, that's now how I imagine it. I met them often. Yes, I remember. <laughs> I will remember this face like, for the rest of my life, I think. Uh, the guy who shoot us, uh, he was a machine gun operator. He operated Kalashnikov machine gun. He was tall, he was fat, he was drunk as shit, and he had the like unshaved beard. Uh, I, I met him later uh, in a hospital, what was left from the hospital, and he just stood there proudly and he said like, hey, you remember me? I'm the guy who shot your friends. That's basically literally what he said. And there was a guy like lying next to me who he also shot and he said, hey, tell him I shot him in his leg. And the guy just looked at him and said, oh, nice shot. They took me uh, first to kind of abandoned garage and they started to question me. But I was bleeding and they were like, said, oh, you're a spy. So like I said, like, no. And I took the papers I had with me. And I speak good Russian. My mom's Russian. And then I, I realized that something has changed in the guys who were questioning me. So I started to ask about my, about my family and I asked them about their family. You know, like after you think that that's how you will die, anything else just comes as a really pleasant surprise. So I was kind of ready for everything. My friend was getting worse, and they actually they said like, I don't know what to do with you. We can't really let you go because like our people can kill you, or Georgians can kill you, and so. We will take you to what's left of the hospital because the hospital was under heavy bombardment as well. Both sides actually bombarded Kin Valley, both Georgian and Russian. So it was not a hospital, it was like a basement. And they just put us in a basement room with like 20 other people. Most of them were like Ossetian rebels. And they just left. And that's it. What the fuck are you going to do next, right? We didn't know. There were doctors, doctors of Skin Valley. They, they took. I would not say the good care of us because, like, nobody can take a good care of anyone in these circumstances. But like, they paid attention, and uh, I can say that they were the ones who already saved us. There was this guy who was like 20 years old. He was wounded in a, in the stomach. They couldn't move him. And he was all alone. Nobody cared for him. I didn't know why. He didn't have any relatives or anything. And I was speaking to him, and I mentioned that I'm from Georgia, from, I'm from Tbilisi. 
and he stopped talking to me at all. But he was wounded in the stomach, but he was allowed to eat. On the day we were leaving, I just came to him and I asked, like, do you have any food left? And he showed me the can of concentrated milk. That's uh, the only thing I have. And we had plenty of food, and I shared some food with him. He looked at me, like, very surprised, and he's like, are you really from, from Tbilisi? I said, like, yeah. So why are you giving this food to me? I said, like, I don't know, because you don't have any and we have plenty. I said, okay. And then I went back to, to my bed, and he just called me, hey, Georgian, take this milk. So, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, we spent three days, three days in the basement. Yeah. I tried to do the only thing I could. I was just asking everyone to let people know that we are here. That actually worked because some of this uh, de facto official guys came to us and said like, we know that you are here. And he said, like, can I speak to you frankly? And I said, like, yes. Basically, nobody gives a fuck if you die here because you are Georgian. But if an American dies here, that would be a huge scandal. So we'll try to get you out. Did you translate this to the American guy? Yes. What was his response? Thanks God I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't remember that. Um, I don't remember my reply. Um, I remember being aware that he was in uh, a lot deeper shit than I was. An American reporter is caught in the crossfire between Russia and Georgia. He's Winston Featherly Bean, shot when fighting broke out in the breakaway province of Ossetia. He is now recovering in a Russian hospital. Two other reporters were killed. Joining us now on the phone from Alaska. Well, I, I can only assume and hope that I was uh, joking with him. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that obviously was were the facts. Um, I, I, a lot of Georgians, um, you know, a lot of Ossetians were killed or went missing. I don't think any Americans did. I had a little bit more protection by virtue of my passport. They took us to Vladikovka, it's north of city, but on the almost near the border, the car got stopped. Like we heard people talking, and the door opened of the ambulance. And there was the president of de facto of Celta City who just looked in the car. Oh, you're those Georgian journalists who got wounded. So did you shoot the blitzkrieg of Georgian army? I said, oh, what? He said, okay, hope you got better. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, he basically made, made fun of us. And when we got to Vladikovkas, to the Vladikovkas Central Hospital, and in several hours, the car from American Embassy came. They took my American friend away, and they left me there. <laughs> like, yeah. We were together right up until uh, the hospital in Vladikavkaz. There was a crowd of, of people at the hospital that were just furious with us. Um, so there was way more hostility in Vladikavkaz actually than there was in um, Skinvaldi. 
you know, somebody might be pissed enough just to, you know, grab a grab a tire iron and, and take care of me or something. But uh, it w- would have been surprising if something bad happened to me. Tamo, on the other hand, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what had happened to him. It was definitely possible that he was going to be imprisoned or beat up by security or, or so anything could have happened to him. nurse came out and started to shout my name. You are Georgian? What the fuck? And most of the people were the relatives of, of the rebels. And it was quite tense. And then the Russian policemen came in and they, they just took me away. And I spent the next five, six days in the police station. What was that like? It was fun, actually. Uh, it was, of course, it was shitty as hell, but like... I was questioned by uh, FSB for like six or seven hours. The guy didn't know how to type in a, in a PC and he really was requested to type my interrogation. And he said, oh, you should give me the numbers of Georgian military officers. I said, like, I don't have any numbers of Georgian military officers. Okay, give me the numbers of the people who, who you contact, contact in the military. I said, like, I can give you the number of the ministry press office. Oh, no, we don't need it. And then he called for Russian TV or Russia 24. And later in the evening, like the Russian policeman, he said like, oh, come on, you're on TV. And I see myself, I'm standing and I'm speaking to the journalist, but I cannot hear my voice because over my voice, there's a narrative of a, of a journalist. He said, like, an American and Georgian citizen were captured in South Ossetia and they will be charged with espionage for uh, Georgia. Like, fuck, man. Okay. Of course, they robbed me. Uh, they took all the money I have the back in Skin Valley, so I had no money. And there was a journalist, reporter, from one of the very famous international media. She came to interview me. Then I asked her, could you lend me some money to get out of there? And she did. But she said, like, don't you ever mention my name or the name of my TV station because it's so against the rules that, like, I'll do it. But actually, what's what's left of Georgian embassy in uh, Russia, they were a huge help. Because they managed to make me a visa in Vladikavkaz. It was not a real visa, basically. It was like semi-fake visa. I'm really thankful for a lot of people, but I never had a chance to thank them, actually. I know that one of the policemen in the station was fired because of this. For what? Because he was helping uh, Georgian spy, basically. Then I got my 300 bucks and I got my semi-fake visa and then I got to a plane from the nearest airport and there was an FSB officer in this uh, airport as well and he looked at my visa, oh, it's fake, how much did you pay for it? And I said, no, it's not. 
and we had a chat with him but he was I think he was too bored that he if he arrests me he will to he will have to feel like shitloads of papers and he lets me go and then I flew from Russia to, to Armenia and then from Armenia I got back to Georgia Both Temo and Winston got out of the war and fully recovered, but their lives did go in pretty different directions. Winston went to grad school and got himself what he called an adult job, and Temo has covered many dangerous conflicts since then. When I interviewed them, I asked them about their lives and their injuries and all that stuff, but there was something I didn't feel free to just ask about. It was their colleagues, Sasha Klimchik and Giga Chikladze, the ones who died. Every time I thought of a question, I found myself holding back, because it just didn't fit our conversation. It didn't feel appropriate for some reason. And I thought a lot about why. Maybe there's only a couple of ways that people can tell a war story. It's going to come out as a responsibility, or an adventure, or maybe a cautionary tale. But it's still a war story, right? It's a story. And heroes don't die in the middle of the movie. A couple years after this, um, I remember reading about Tim Hetherington and Chris Hondros uh, being killed uh, reporting in Libya. They're really well-known well uh, war correspondents. And um, some of the war reporters and journalists I really respected pointed out that Tim Hetherington had a wound that he probably could have survived from if somebody nearby uh, knew uh, first aid. Um, I think he was accompanied by some some young freelancers that were sort of, you know, kids like me in a, in a, in a different context. You know, since then, I, I took some uh, like wilderness first responder course so that I would you know, hopefully be a bit better prepared. That's a drive that I don't think is fair to indulge unless you are ready to take care of yourself and others if you need to. People should be fucking careful, man. I work with some journalists, some young journalists as well, who like really adrenalize, who really want to like to be a hero, like to, to be fucking Superman. There is a thing that every single journalist, young or old, should remember. Not a single story, not a single shot, not a single sound piece doesn't worth journalist's life. Because if you are dead, you will not bring a story. You will become a story. And I don't think that's the journalist's job. Up to 60 people died, like journalists, during the professional work. Most of them in Syria. And most of them were freelance, working for a big media corporations. And they hire lots of people, they pay them some money. When they get killed, they hire new ones, right? So the least thing this corporation can do, maybe they can invite these people and give them some training on how to work in a hostile territory and send them back in. Hey, Vladik here. I hope you enjoyed that. Next week, we've got a story about a country western singer who's never been within a thousand miles of the cowboy life that he's singing about. So Taxi Taxi is particularly good company if you're washing dishes or waiting for the bus. So hit subscribe on your podcast app, and then you'll get the future episodes automatically. And if you'd like to submit or get in touch, find us at TaxiTaxiPodcast.com or on Facebook. We're interested in the entire South Caucasus, so if you've got a story about Armenia, Azerbaijan, or Georgia, don't be shy. And a big thank you to the folks behind the Hindenburg Audio Suite, who've provided us with a license to do uh, this. Talk to you next week.